part two of the harvest. A few weeks ago, I did part one, which was an overview. And tonight, now we're going to be looking in a little bit more detail and uh, going to some more of the things that um, God wants us to understand. Now, none of this, as I've said before, is a salvation issue. Whether you believe uh, this exactly that way or not is not as important as if you are ready to go in the rapture. Amen. So we're going to start with looking at John chapter 4 and verse 35. This was Jesus not too long um, when he had come to Jerusalem and he was speaking to his disciples. He said, Say not ye that there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. When he said that, it was just after the Feast of Pentecost. And the four months he was talking about was the fall harvest, uh, which would have been uh, the Feast of Trumpets. That's the only time where there's a gap of four months between two feasts, the spring feasts and the fall feasts. And many people are always putting off the fact that Jesus can come. He said, don't say that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The only sign we're going to be given of Jesus' coming, the only condition was that this gospel should be preached to every nation and then cometh the end. So if we're looking for certain signs, that's the only sign. And we will not know that. We're not given the day or the hour, but we are given the season. And what we can tell right now, it is the harvest season. We're going to look at some review scriptures before we go into it fully. And we're going to look at uh, John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus was in the upper room. He was about to be arrested that night. And he was telling them, that he was going to go away. And of course, this troubled them. So he started John chapter 14 by saying, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So we have many scriptures that tell us about this thing called the rapture or the catching away. In Mark 13, 29, So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the door. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. So we're warned that it is going to be um, a, a sudden event. That is the, the, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. Let's look at some more scriptures. In Mark 13, 34, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. And commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly 
he find you sleeping. So we were told that we should not be taken unawares. If we knew the season, then we should be watching. Amen. Let's look at a couple more scriptures in Matthew 24 and verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. So there has always been God's plan to take his chosen out of this planet. And the reason is, of course, we see in Revelation that the last three and a half years, God's wrath is going to be poured out without measure. Uh, Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, uh, put it more plainly in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one: Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This is a, a verse that is always read at a funeral, that one day the corruption of the flesh is going to change, and those who have put on Christ by baptism shall be changed to, to rise in the likeness of his resurrection. One more set of scriptures, Matthew 13, 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tears? Now, in the previous lesson, I talked about the three harvests, and we're going to look at each one of the feasts in detail. But in the scripture here, Jesus told four parables, and his disciples did not understand all of them. So privately, they asked him to explain. And he was explaining the parable. It said, Did not thou sowest good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tears or weeds? And the answer was, Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this was the wheat harvest. Now, God in his wisdom gave the Jews or, or has always given mankind a witness of his plan of salvation. And uh, in a future lesson, I will teach about the, the plan that's written in the stars. But after the Exodus, he gave Moses the written uh, laws and written uh, feasts and ceremonies that they were to carry out. And in these seven feasts are modeled his complete plan of salvation. So we're going to look at those. And of course, three of them were very special. They were harvest festivals. Uh, we are just, last week Sunday, celebrated the first of the fall feast, the Feast of Trumpets, 
And in about eight days from now will be the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Atonement or Yom Kippur. But the first one in the harvest year was Passover. And that was, of course, uh, given in Exodus 12, chapter 1 through 14. You can read about, about it. And it was fulfilled literally by Jesus Christ when he became our Passover lamb. And, of course, Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And then on the next day was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they were to eat the bread without yeast, uh, without flavor, because it symbolized their, their time in Egypt and how the fact that they were about to get ready to leave in a hurry. And, of course, it represents the fact that it was without sin because leaven represents sin. And we see that represented in the bread on the tables in the tabernacle and in the temple. And again, it's found in 1 Corinthians 5.8. Paul writes about that. Then the very next uh, uh, um, ceremony or feast was first fruits, which was contiguous with the other three. And that's written about in Leviticus 23, verses 9 to 14. And of course, that was the, the first fruits of the barley harvest. And we find that written about or modeled as in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 8 as the resurrection of Christ. And then we come to a gap of about 50 days to the Feast of Pentecost, which was the one feast where they were told to count. They were told to count 49 days and on the 50th day from the, from the uh, um, Feast of First Fruits would be the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost in which it was the wheat harvest. And we can read about that in Leviticus chapter 23 and verses 15 through 22. And in the New Testament, of course, that was the birth of the church in Acts 2, uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, 38. Paul, Peter preached unto the crowd what the salvation message was. In fact, it was also 50 days after they left Egypt that the law was given in the Old Testament when Moses was told to come on up to Mount Sinai. So the thing that saved them in the Old Testament, the law, was then translated or mirrored in the thing that saves us today is God's gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we see there's a gap of four months until the next set of feasts or ceremonies, the fall feasts, the first one of which was celebrated this year um, on the 15th as the Feast of Trumpets or the first um, day of the old secular year or as they call it um, Yom, uh, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Blowing of the Trumpets or Shana, Rosh Hashanah, which is the uh, head of the year. So it has several names. But on that day they would blow the trumpets signifying the beginning of the secular year. And that's found in Leviticus 23 23 to 35. And of course, it is possible that that could be literally fulfilled as the rapture because the trumpet blowing is associated with what Paul mentioned in Thessalonians that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. So many Bible scholars believe that the rapture could be on some future feast of trumpets. But I want to remind you what Jesus said. He said, you say there is yet four months to the harvest, but I'm telling you that they are ready and right now. So it could be 
that the rapture is actually on the Feast of Pentecost. That's why we're commanded to watch and to be ready. And then 10 days later, we're in that period right, right now where the Jews call them the Days of Awe, where they prepare to, uh, to celebrate their most solemn feast, the Day of Atonement, in which the high priest would get two kids of the goats, and on one of them he would lay his head, lay his hand on his head and pronounce the sins of the whole nation. And that goat would be led away as far as it could be taken. And then the other goat was killed and its blood was taken in to the, to the altar of incense and then finally in before the Ark of the Covenant. And that's found in Leviticus 23. And of course it's fulfilled, going to be fulfilled in heaven. We see that in Revelation 4 when John begins to see the final, the real atonement ceremony because he sees one sitting on the throne with a book in his hand in which no man was able to open. And he begins to weep because he knows that that book is the book of life. And the elder tells him, don't weep, John, because behold, the lamb of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And he looks and he sees the lamb with the horns that has been killed. What we're seeing there is the atonement ceremony in heaven, the one that, that fixes the sin problem. And then finally, the last feast of the harvest year was the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot or the final ingathering of the oil and the wine. And of course, it symbolizes the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. So now we've done an overview. Let's look at, at, at three of these feasts, as I've said before. Three of them are harvest festivals. And they symbolize the three, actually four groups of separate people. Because we see that each of the feasts symbolize a fulfillment by Christ, but the next level underneath it is that three of them were harvest festivals. Exodus 23, verse 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast, or in the Hebrew, an appointment really, unto me in the year. Verse 15, thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. In Exodus, of course, the names of the months had not been changed. And so it was called Abib, which actually refers to the barley uh, grain. Today, of course, it's known by the name of Nisan. For in it thou camest from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. God commanded that they were to bring something of the harvest, the first fruit of the harvest of the barley. Verse 16, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors. It's speaking about now um, Pentecost. And then finally, the very last feast presented on the feast of ingathering was the oil and the wine. Now, we covered some of this before. So we're going to now look in detail at the barley harvest and the first resurrection. Because the misunderstanding has been that the rapture is just one event, which it is. But there are three groups, principally, that are in the harvest year. So let's look at, Revel at Revelation and try and see what the Bible tells us about this harvest year. The Bible is very explicit on when the first resurrection ends. And this is what has given so much confusion 
and people who believe that the rapture is at the end of the tribulation. Let's read it. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the question is, when did the first resurrection start? Because that's the one the scripture says is blessed and is holy for those who have part in it. So we want to know when did that first resurrection start? Well, let's look at a a little chart here that I've put up. And uh, the Bible tells us, of course, that Jesus resurrected or was put to death around A.D. 31. How do we know that? Because we know that he was crucified as the Passover sacrifice. And Passover would have had to fall on a Wednesday for there to be three days and three nights in the grave. Well, the only date that that satisfies within a 10-year period of when uh, we know that Jesus was ministering on earth is A.D. 31, and we have covered that in some other Bible studies. So we know that the first resurrection started with Jesus because he was the first fruits of them that were dead. And we know that according to Revelation 20, it tells us uh, of the people who are in the first resurrection who come out of the great tribulation. So let's look at that again step by step. So we know that the second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation. And that, of course, according to Revelation 14 and Revelation 20, is the end of the first resurrection because it tells us about the souls who did not worship the beast and were beheaded beheaded for not doing so. It says, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So those people who resisted the beast did not take the mark of the beast and for that reason were killed. The Bible tells us that they were resurrected. And it tells us explicitly that that is the first resurrection. So we know that the first resurrection started with Jesus and it's going to end at the end of the seven years. And so we are in the harvest year. Let's look at this. It says in Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. Now it says souls, not bodies, that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So this is obviously a resurrection. And this is what gets people confused. And they think that the rapture is at the end of the tribulation. But no, this is one of the harvests. This is the Feast of Tabernacle harvest, the final harvest. It goes on to say, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And the Bible explicitly tells us that this resurrection is in the first resurrection. But what it doesn't tell us is when did it start. So we have an arrow on that chart for the end. 
But we also have an arrow for the beginning. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep or slept. So the two arrows mark the time period of the first resurrection. It was a harvest year, not a single event. And that's why people have been confused. And some believe in a pre-trib, some are a mid-trib, and some are a post-trib. And what I'm trying to say is that they're all ripe to some extent. We're going to look at that. So the harvest year, as represented by the three feasts, which were harvest festivals, started with the barley harvest, which was Jesus. Sometime is going to have the wheat harvest, which is the church. And lastly is going to have the tribulation saints and the people who died before Christ, the oil and the wine, which will complete the harvest year. So that explains and harmonizes the confusion that people have had where is the rapture pre mid or post. No, there are scriptures for each category that people confuse. So far, the church age has lasted for 1,992 years. It's been 1,992 years since Jesus died. At some point in the not too distant future, we're going to hear that voice and that trumpet sound, and there will be the wheat harvest. And then the Bible tells us that there will be a time of tribulation. And we're going to look at all of that timing in a little bit. But we're going to focus in this lesson primarily on the group that comes out first. Because there's a mystery there that many have not uh, understood. So the Bible clearly tells us if you, if you read it that there are groups or as it calls them orders. Hebrews 7.17 speaks about Jesus, for he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall, be, shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Now there is still another order of those that are not Christ. They're going to be resurrected too, but they're going to be resurrected to judgment. Every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Now with Christ's resurrection, the Bible clearly tells us that he was not the only one resurrected. He was the first. But in Revelation 14.4, it tells us about this strange group. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. This is a strange category. It goes on to tell us some more things about them. But as we have been teaching in the first lesson, we know that this first group is primarily Jews, the barley. First fruits of the barley. We know the church is the first fruits of the wheat. 
the dead in Christ. And we know the oil and the wine are the righteous dead and the tribulation saints. So we're going to look a little bit more at this first group because it's a mystery. It says that they are virgins, that there is no guile, they're blameless. What kind of people is this? Where would you find 144,000 completely innocent and blameless people right now? It's a mystery. But the Bible indicates that Jesus did not rise alone. It's not only the scripture in Matthew 28 when it says, and the graves were opened. But look at this prophecy in Isaiah 26, verse 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. This is a resurrection. And what it's saying and what it's telling us is that when Jesus arose, he fulfilled the scripture that said he led captivity captive. Matthew 27, 50. And when he had cried with, again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And in verse 51, look what happens. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And here's 52, which is an amazing verse. And the graves were opened, and it doesn't say souls. It says many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, who were these people? It didn't say all were resurrected. It said many. Many were re resurrected, and of course, the Bible calls them the first fruits. This was a very special group, a unique group. So who were they? Let's go back to Revelation to find out more. In Revelation 7, verse 1, it says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Now that's important because remember what the seal of the living God is? It's the Holy Ghost. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Remember what I said the Holy Spirit is? What the seal is, is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us that we are sealed with God's Spirit. Now the key of why this is happening is the Bible elsewhere tells us that if you don't have God's Spirit, you're none of His. So even though these are unique individuals, they still have to have God's Spirit. And so this is what the Bible is showing us in verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty-four thousands of all the tribes of the children of Israel. These were Jews. This whole thing is, is, is amazing and, and miraculous. In Jeremiah 2.3, the Bible clearly tells us that Israel was God's first fruits. Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. Because of the many unconditional promises he had made to Abraham, that he, out of his loins, out of his descendants, would come a people 
God honored his promise. And in this first part of the harvest year, it was the Jews, 144,000 from each tribe, from each tribe were resurrected. Now, who were these people? Well, it's very mysterious. It says, of all the tribes of the children of Israel in Revelation 7 and verse 4, it says, redeemed from the earth. Here's another one. They are virgins. And they were blameless. Look at this, Revelation 14.5. In their mouth was found no guile, no deceit, for they are without fault. They are without fault before the throne of God. In other words, they are totally innocent. There's only one category of human being that meets that, and that is babies. Babies. How did these babies come to be chosen? Who were they? Well, we have to go all the way back to the birth of Christ to get the story. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, when the wise men had come to Herod and told him about the birth of a king, of course, he wanted to kill him. And he sent the wise men on to Bethlehem to find the baby Jesus. And after a while, when he found out that they had not reported back, he got mad. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked, of the wise men was exceeding wroth, angry, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, but not just Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof. What that is telling us and revealing to us, he slew every child that he could lay his hands on in all of his kingdom. That's what that means. From two years old and under, because it had been about that length of time, he wanted to be sure that there was not going to be born anyone who could take away the throne from him. The Bible then tells us and points to a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah that this event of him killing, aborting the babies was a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 17, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they were not. In other words, they were killed. This has such a, a deep backstory that I won't have time to go into it now, but Rachel herself was a shepherdess. And in fact, when Jacob ran away from home to his uncle's house to get away from Esau, the first part of the family he came on was a, some shepherds by a well, and they were waiting. And it came to pass that Rachel, who was a shepherdess, came up to the well. When, once he married her, she had Joseph, and then she had Benjamin. And after she had Benjamin, she died on their way back into Canaan, and she was buried and died just outside of Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? Rachel weeping for her children because the murder started at Bethlehem. 
and would not be comforted. So Herod killed every single child around the age of up to two years. This is significant because it explains a prophecy in the Old Testament. We go to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, speaking about Jesus. He says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. The angel had come and warned Joseph in a dream to take the young child to Egypt. And as a sheep before her sharers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And here is the verse. And who shall declare his generation? The generation into which Jesus was born was slaughtered. Every child that was within Herod's territory was killed. When Jesus came back, he would have been without any pairs or very few pairs of his own age. There would have been a gap. There would have been a generation missing. He goes on to say, for he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. A whole generation was wiped out by Herod. Hosea 9.16 says, Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. See, Satan wanted to eliminate the possibility of a Messiah. Again, he was defeated. You know, but the, the great and, and wonderful thing about this prophecy is that God had an answer. Let's read in Genesis chapter, start from Genesis chapter 30, verse 2. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel because remember, at first, she could not bear a child. And he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Remember, the resurrection is the first fruits. Now, let's go back to the prophecy that was pointed out in Matthew as a fulfillment when Herod killed the children because it has a second part. Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. Can you imagine all those mothers and all those parents having their baby taken and killed? Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. But look at the second part of this prophecy. Remember who these people were who were resurrected. The Bible said that they were virgins. They were innocent. They were blameless. There was no deceit. Why? Because they were babies when they were slaughtered. But the prophecy doesn't end there. Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. This was prophesying the resurrection of all those children that had been killed in all the coasts, all the land of, of Israel during Herod's time. The Bible says, yes, they, 
they was weeping, but don't weep because there will be a resurrection and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. In other words, from the grave. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own boredom. In fact, when they were trying to stop the children coming to Jesus, he said, allow it, suffer them, because of such is the kingdom of heaven. All the innocent babies that have been killed over the millennia, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Paul in Romans 11 says this, and speaking about the Jews, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? He was predicting a resurrection. For if for if the fruit, first fruit be holy, again, he was hinting at who these people were. They're called the first fruit. The lump also is holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. So they were resurrected, all these children that had been killed. God gave them a special place because they were innocent. There was no guile. They were, they were babies. They were virgins from every tribe of Israel. But still... They still had to be filled. And that's why in Revelation 7, 2, it says he sees the angel with the seal. And I heard the number of them that were sealed. And they were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion with him. 144,000 having his father's names written in their forehead. See, that was the first resurrection. Of course, we're now waiting for the second part of the harvest, the Feast of Pentecost to be fulfilled. First Thessalonians 4.16, we're looking for the wheat harvest. That was the barley, that was the Jews. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ. That's the key. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul in Romans 6.3 explains what he means. Knowing not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here's what the condition is. For if, and the word is if, we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, when we went down in baptism in his name, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the wheat harvest. That is the rapture. That is the church. That is the special and only group that actually go up. Now, when does this take place? Well, Jesus has given us many little clues. In John 7.10, they were all going up because, as remember, they were commanded that at these three feasts, everyone had to attend. They had to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the last one, and it lasted seven days. 
And Jesus' brethren, his brothers, said, Aren't you going? But when his brothers were, were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. He showed up in the middle of the seven days. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? Where is he? John seven fourteen. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. You notice too in John 3, he went to the marriage supper on the third day, the middle of the seven days. See, there is coming a type of reaping. There's coming a time when all of this is going to be rolled up. Revelation 12, 9. How do we know the time? Well, it tells us in Revelation. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was cast out. The old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now the Bible elsewhere tells us that the church is not appointed to wrath. This event is the rapture of the church. He comes down, we, we come up. Because it tells us clearly, now has come salvation. Now has come. That verse would not make sense if salvation had already, if the rapture for the church had already occurred. It happens in the middle. It's the middle feast. It's the equivalent of the feast of Pentecost where the harvest of the wheat happened is when the angel is going to say, now has come salvation. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So now let's look at that verse very carefully. He cannot bring us back with him unless we have already gone up there with him. So again, this is another scripture that points to the rapture being in the middle and that we return after the three and a half years to dwell on earth with him. Now, I will be going into more detail of the, of the of this Feast of Wheat, but this is again just an introduction. We've covered uh, in detail the first fruits, and now we, I just want to touch on the last harvest, which is the oil and the wine. Exodus 23, 16. That last feast which goes by tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Harvest, harvest or the Feast of Sukkoth, where they made the, the booths, are, is, are all the same thing. It happens on the 15th day from Tishri, 15th day from the Feast of Trumpets. Let's read. And the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast shown in the field, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is the end of the year, when thou hast gathered, gathered in thy labors out of the field. The last agricultural products that were gathered in for the year were the oil and the wine. And it's significant 
that it is oil and wine because both of those things, especially wine, is only produced by crushing. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it speaks of the last day. It's speaking about the last ingathering. John 6, 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. He goes on to say, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is speaking about that final feast. John 6, 54, Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So this is the group that are not in the church and not in the rapture, but because, because they have either been martyred for Christ or were righteous in the Old Testament, following under the law and God's grace, he says he's going to raise them up at the last day. John eleven twenty four. when he came and to uh, Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus was already dead, Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So we can find all these scriptures of the last day, but the last day is for Israel. The rapture is for the church. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that he sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Again, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For, I, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, just as he did on Mount Sinai, and called Moses up with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. I'm going to close this part of this harvest teaching. There is some more that I will be bringing forth in forthcoming weeks where we're going to look at the marriage supper and the fact that the the um, conclusion of the marriage ceremony or the, 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 um, the actual conclusion in a Jewish wedding happened before the feast. So that's why they went into the hoopah, as it was called, to seal the marriage and then came back out for the marriage feast. And we're going to look at that and how that relates to the last three and a half years of tribulation on earth. Amen. But the most important thing is not knowing all the details, but is to be ready because we are living in end times. There's absolutely no doubt of that. I said that it's been 1,992 years since Jesus died. In Hosea 
6, he says, after two days, you shall raise us up and we will live in your sight. Symbolically, a day with the Lord is as dim as a thousand years. So whichever way you want to calculate it, we're within very close times of fulfillments of some of these scriptures. The Bible said we would not know the day or the hour, but we would know the season. This is a time that we should be awake and watching and praying and seeking God and making sure that our vessel and our lamp has the oil. Hallelujah. We're going to close this Bible study and we're going to ask God for his blessing, that it will edify, that we will meditate, that we will look, that we will be awake. Hallelujah. We thank you, O God, for your word tonight. Let it find good soil. Let it, O God, bring us to the point, Lord God, where we are fully awake. Lord God, where we are watching and waiting for your coming. Lord, that we will be evangelists, that we will be your disciples to win others, hallelujah, to bring them the knowledge of your love and of your grace. Lord, we ask you to continue, O oh God, to get, let your Holy Spirit empower us, O oh God. Lord God, that you will touch us, O oh Lord Jesus, that you will give us even more grace. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, we, as we walk this journey, Lord God, that we will grow. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives, and we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name, amen.